Good morning again, everyone. Glad to see you here this morning, and I hope that your Thanksgiving holidays went well. Um, I couldn't help but chuckle a few times already this morning at just how the Lord works. Uh, he works in amazing ways, and it's just kind of funny to see. You'll, you'll understand later as you hear some of the sermon. But he, he truly is an awesome God and a good God. And it's, and it's an amazing opportunity to be here with you each and every week to share that with you. You know, I'm, I'm in awe at times uh, of what he is able to do. And throughout different seasons that we go through, we meet God in different ways. You know, he, he shows up in stronger ways as we're going through the different things that we go through. And as we come up to a holiday season, um, I'm very aware at other circumstances that it's a season that can be full of excitement or anxiety, one of grief, one of happiness. You know, and as we come off of the Thanksgiving holiday, coming off of this, this heart attitude of, of gratitude, of thanksgiving, I want to kind of carry that on as we begin the Advent season next week. So today I want to prepare our hearts with a Thanksgiving type of message, one on Thanksgiving. I'm going to be in Psalm 100 today. You can kind of get there now if you'd like. Um, but you know, again, it's crazy how time flies by, and we've already got snow on the ground, and definitely not was not ready for that this morning, understanding how slippery the roads can get. You know, and as I come into... Sundays for prep and things like that, the Lord puts these messages on my heart or different passages on my heart. And as I was preparing for Thanksgiving, it's, it's a broad topic, you know, and, and you begin to think like, well, I can go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances and kind of break those areas down and try to figure out what it truly means to give thanks in all circumstances, even those that we might not be as thankful for. You know, we think about Thanksgiving and, and we, we teach our kids to say thank you. Maybe we, we have family prayer before mealtime to thank God for the provision that he has given, understanding uh, what all of that means. You know, and, and when we break down these types of things, we want to understand definitions, understanding how we understand the term to begin with. According to Webster, Thanks is an expression of gratitude, an acknowledgement made to express a sense of favor or kindness received. Gratitude is the feeling or the sentiment excited by kindness, and thanks are the expression of that sentiment. That's Webster. In the Old Testament, a lot of times thanks or thanksgiving is combined with praise and confession. Now, not a confession of a, I'm confessing my sins, my guilt, but rather a confession in terms of declaring the truth, like you would find in like a creed or something like that, where you're confessing your praise and your thanksgiving for God. In the New Testament, as I had mentioned about a month or so ago, the Greek root word for thanksgiving is Eucharist. Or you can find a form of charis in that word, which is grace, which is kindness. Um, Eucharist is usually translated as giving thanks. Now, being raised as a, a Catholic, I understood the meaning for the body of Christ as Eucharist. 
Um, you know, and I know that not too many of us were brought up in the Catholic Church, but the Mass surrounds the Eucharist. So it's a form of praise and thanksgiving in terms of celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, even though I didn't know Greek at that time, it was ingrained in me, this thankful, humble attitude and reverence that you would have during the Mass. So when we try to define what thanks might look like or understanding it in our own understanding, um, different examples that we've come across in our own life, we pull all of these types of things together and we go to the word of God and see how, how thanks is expressed. Today, as we're gonna go through Psalm 100, it's kind of a common psalm for thanksgiving. Um, there's a lot of psalms around this area that deal with thanksgiving. I read one for our call to worship today as well. Um, but I think that this is a good psalm to start off with for this season. So if you are there and would like to join me in Psalm 100, I invite you to stand as you're able as we read God's word this morning. beginning in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Father, as we come to your word today, Lord, I just pray that we can humbly approach, that you would open up our hearts and minds to see your truths, that we can understand more of who you are and the importance of thanksgiving in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now there, anytime you approach a passage, there's various ways that you can break it down. There's different things that you can emphasize or focus on. But today, I want to look at the first three verses together, and then kind of the fourth and the fifth, a little bit more separately, a little bit more in detail. But you know, when I, when I approach passages like this, that, that speak of thanksgiving, that speak of worship and praise, I kind of weigh this passage to something like Hosea 6.6, which says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And I do this because I wanna understand more of the heart of worship. I wanna understand my own practices and how I am approaching worship and thanksgiving. You know, when I, when I read these types of passages, I'm also reminded of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Everything that he teaches there, he's teaching more to the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. Understanding uh, the thankfulness, the praise, it's not just about going through the motions, but it's a heart issue, it's a heart matter. Something that we have to take to that level, to that depth. Um, where we're trying to understand who God is and what he has done. So as we approach thanks, as we approach thanksgiving, we want to know that our focus is to be on God. Understand that as we enter into this passage. Yes, there are imperatives. There's things that we need to do, and I know that I harp on imperatives a lot, um, but there's a purpose behind it that we have to grasp. We don't want our faith just to become a list of imperatives with the reasoning of, well, just because I told you so. We don't want our faith to become, let's do X, Y, and Z, and then I'm good. 
We have to know that God is central to our thanksgiving and our understanding of who he is. So to help us with that this morning, I want to first look at verse 5 briefly, just for a moment. You see the word for there. That's a purpose word. This purpose word defines everything that comes before it. Because the Lord is good, because his steadfast love endures forever, because his faithfulness is to all generations, because of all of that that's listed in verse 5, back up to verse 1, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, so forth and so on. So when we're looking at this, at this psalm, our focus is in verse 5. The hook is in verse 5. And as you give a sermon, sometimes you leave your hook towards the end. I want to give it up front today. So that as we go, especially for these first three verses, this is in our heart and mind. To understand who God is. This is why we would do these things. This is why those imperatives matter. It's because of who God is. And that should, that should um, guide us. So we'll come back to verse 5 and go a little bit deeper into that. Back up to verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Now when I see this, I usually understand all the earth as the people. But you also have verses such as Luke 19, 40, where Jesus says, like, look, even if you don't praise me, these rocks are going to cry out. They're going to praise me. You know, so all of the earth, literally praising God. Um, so many of the Psalms speak about shouting out praises to God. Psalm 96, 4 says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 98 might be on the same page. You can look there. Um, verses 4 through 6 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of the melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. You know, there are many forms uh, of worship. There's many pictures of worship given to us in scriptures. There's singing, there's dancing, there's crying out in praise, there's playing instruments, there's reading the scriptures, there's sacrifices, so many different things. Now for some of you who might be like me, I like this passage because it describes my singing, a joyful noise. Might be out of tune, out of key, uh, might be in the wrong timing, but it's a joyful noise. For those of that of you who might be a little bit more classically trained, something like that can be a little irritating. But you know, whether you're singing hymns or choruses, what the Lord looks at is the heart. Do you remember what he told Samuel when the people were looking for a king? Back in 1 Samuel 16, he said, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, this week as I was preparing, I was thinking of Matt Redmond's song, um, coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you, Jesus. When we think about worship, when we think about thanksgiving and praise, what is our heart towards worship? What is our heart towards making a joyful noise unto the Lord? You know, as I said, there are various forms of worship. There are forms of worship that I don't understand. It might not be the way that I would worship personally. There are forms that look differently. So I have to be careful as a, as a just 
me as an individual, not even as a pastor in this regard, I have to personally be careful to not quench the spirit of the heart of that person who might be joyfully praising the Lord in more expressive ways that I don't understand. While at the same time, trying not to ascribe a lack of joy to our own singing, because I don't see hand raising, or, and I wrote this earlier in the week without talking to Dave, clapping of hands during Shine Jesus Shine, which I was cracking up in the back when we started singing that. You know, I have to personally be careful not to quench the spirit or not to ascribe motives or things like that to people because it's a matter of the heart with the Lord. You know, when it comes to a a corporate understanding of worship, we want to be able to put people in a place for them to worship God because he is good, because his steadfast love endures forever, because his faithfulness is to all the generations. Not going to our preferences or what we like, but attributing it to the Father. And it's to be done with a joyful heart. We look at verse 2, where it says that you are to serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. So I want to look at a few examples of this. If you put your bulletin in Psalm 100, flip over to Revelation chapter 4 with me. I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 4, kind of halfway through verse 6, maybe a new paragraph in your Bible. It says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in the front and back. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And the day and night, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They, ca- they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and we were created. So you see how there is singing in the presence of the throne room of God. We see the praise that's happening there. How would you say that our praise compares? Do we throw the crowns of pride and selfishness that we have on our head on the floor, bowing down before the Lord, humbly acknowledging his place, the one who is seated on the throne, or are we trying to manipulate the Father? As we go back to Psalm 100, we also see in the second verse that we are to serve the Lord with gladness. Now, I attribute this kind of to the priests and how they would serve at the altar, um, making that connection then to the New Testament in Romans 12, 1 and 2, how we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, holy and acceptable to him. That is our form of spiritual worship. And my funny thought this week was in this section. As I was talking, thinking about joyfully serving and stuff like that, the 
picture that came to my mind was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and their song of whistling while you work. How often do we do that anymore? Whether that's in our secular jobs or whether that's in praise, understanding how we are serving the Lord, what is our heart attitude? Do we find that joy in there? Showing the gladness of our heart as we minister before him. And you know, as, as we're looking at Psalm 100 there, each of the lines start with an imperative. And then when I got to verse three this week, I paused. Know that the Lord he is God. There just seems to be a reverence and awe about that statement. There's an emphasis that's added there with the he to really delineate and separate who they are talking about. It's very similar to a purpose statement in verse five, but I think it goes beyond that. It's beyond a purpose statement because it's a, it's, it's a command about wisdom and understanding it's one of identity. It's defining who God is, where we stand in awe that he is our creator. We stand in awe at his majesty and what he has done. A reference for us today is from Elijah. Elijah is one of the more famous prophets that don't have a book that he wrote. Found in 1 Kings, just in a few chapter, but he has a very famous encounter with 400 prophets of Baal in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. And, and you know, it, it's him versus them. He sets up a competition to see which God is the real God. Is it Baal or is it Yahweh? And, and they set up this competition. And I've always liked Elijah in this scene because he's taunting them, he's mocking them. Um, they're dancing around the piles of wood. They're cutting themselves. They're crying out for Baal to, to bring fire down to accept their sacrifice because that's the competition. And nothing happens. And then it's Elijah's turn, and he tells him, he's like, all right, get some, get some water, just douse the wood, just completely, that's not enough water, keep coming, keep coming with the water, and it fills up the trench around it. And then I want you to listen to Elijah's prayer. This was his prayer, he's not dancing around, he's not hooting and hollering, he just praises. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then fire from the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. What an awesome reverence. I mean, in our thanksgiving... What is the portion of praise that is dedicated to just the fact that he is God? Where we're just recognizing he is God. Where our gratitude is surrounded by the fact that he is our creator. He is our God, we are his people. Do we have a contentment about that? Or do we demand signs such as Elijah's so then we will know that he is God? 
You know, signs and wonders are definitely a different message. But what I want us to understand is that God is to be praised simply because he is God. Not because of what he has done to prove it. Is that enough in our minds? Because he is God. You know, when we think about tests and signs, a lot of times we desire those big, grandiose things to happen in our way or the ways that we demand. While at the same time, perhaps we miss the simple signs that are given to us every day. Whether that's the snow, the sunrises, the smile of a loved one. Is he enough just because he is God? The scene in the psalm then shifts towards the gates and the courtyards of the temple. It was there that God was enthroned as king. They are to enter with thanksgiving, with praise, with joyful hearts. This is the attitude in which we should approach God. This is the posture that we are to have. However, there are differences for understandings, right? The temple was built to house God. Um, and then the people would come to him on the Sabbath or when they had times of convenience. It's not the way it was supposed to be originally. You know, and try as we might to get away from that attitude, it's still present. Or we come to church to see God. We come to church to praise God. You know, the purpose uh, of God being in the tabernacle and in the ark was to be mobile so that he would lead the people in the exodus and the desert. Then as the people confined him to the temple, they tried to control that situation. Then what happens with Jesus' death and resurrection? The temple curtain is torn. Now the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. We abide with him, he abides with us. So back up to 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and an understanding of giving thanks in all circumstances. Is it the attitude of entering with thanksgiving and, our pra- and praise our approach to every single day because God is with us? Well, we have this attitude because he is with us. Or do we just relegate this verse to the church, the building, or maybe even the future in the heavenly temple? That's not the context of this. And why wait to get to heaven to praise God for what he has given us today? We want all of our days to be full of thanksgiving and praise in all circumstances. Then you look at the end of the verse where we are to give thanks and bless his name. How do you bless his name? Well, you tell of his wonders. Flip back to Psalm 96. Let's read the opening of this psalm. Starting in verse one, he says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. 
So by recounting what he has done and who he is, we are blessing his name. We're giving thanks to him. Now the Bible frequently we talk about blessing and cursing, um, how they come from the same mouth. So we have to be conscious of the words that we're using, understanding that we need to be honoring to our creator. To bless his name is to shout his praises. And then we come to the purpose verse in verse five. Why would we, why should we be praising God? And it's because he is good. Because his steadfast love, his mercy is never ending. And because his faithfulness is to all the generations. God alone is good. Jesus says this when somebody comes up to him and says, good teacher, what do I do about this? And Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? Only God is good. I think some of the issues that we have with understanding the goodness of God is that we want to conflate him being good with our desire for him to do what we want. Because we get this reason or this idea in our heads that what we want is good, or at least for our good. Very simple example of this, think of a, a child on Halloween with a bag full of a candy. What is the child's good in their mind? To eat that whole bag of candy. What is a parent's good understanding for that child? Well, I had two, two examples. One, it would be to teach them a lesson, say, yeah, go ahead, you'll see. But the other is to divvy it up, give some of it away, space it out so that the child doesn't get sick. You know, our, our ideas, our versions of what's good for us are tainted by our own selfish pride. You know, when we have that tainted definition, when we, when we try to put our goodness onto God, in essence, we're trying to tell God what to do. Even if we don't understand it, we have to understand that he and he alone is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Now this is the same as mercy or loving kindness. I'm not gonna read it for us today, but you can flip over to Psalm 136. Um, it's a psalm that I think is written more as a responsorial psalm or a responsorial hymn to where the congregation or the people would oftentimes respond with his steadfast love endures forever after every line that is spoken. Okay, so somebody would read out that line and then you would, the people would then respond in agreement that his steadfast love endures forever. Do we know of his steadfast love today? Do we know of his mercy? Do we know that his faithfulness is to all generations? So let me back up a little bit with these questions. Let me go back up to the signs for a moment. You know, as I said, many times we ask for signs or we desire for God to show up in these awesome and amazing ways. And for some, for some of those times, we desire it because maybe we haven't seen his mercy or his faithfulness. Or we hear a testimony from somebody and we think, wow, that would be so great, Lord. Why haven't you shown up for me like that? You know, we have those moments, we have those seasons where we desire these things. Where we want to experience his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his mercy. 
We've heard of it. We've read about it. We know his word is true, but it's just intellectual. It's just this exercise. It's not really understood to the heart level that it needs to be. See, there's this depth to God that we have to understand, that we get to, that we get to enjoy and practice. We get to do that. Do you ever think about how awesome that is? We get to experience his mercy. You know, as I said, there's testimonies among us that, that show God's faithfulness, that show his steadfast love, where God was evident in those individual experiences, where they experienced some characteristics, some attribute of God in faith-forming ways. And we're all different in those experiences. We all have those differences. I mean, as an example, how many of you have felt the depth of understanding God in something like lament? In something in such deep sorrow and grief? And you've experienced God's wholeness in that. It's just different. It's not right, it's not better than anybody else. It's just a different place that you can meet God. And that's just one example to show the depths of how we know God in certain ways. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I always pray for us, to have eyes to see and ears to hear, to go deeper into our understanding and knowledge of God, to to advance that way, to understand his love and his mercy in a deep way. And I think to understand his steadfast love and his mercy in a deep way, we have to come to a point of absolute brokenness at the ugliness of our sin, to understand what we have been saved from, to understand that in God's infinite love, he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay for that ugliness of sin, to pay that atoning price so that we might have life and have it abundantly. When you sit in that ugliness and know what you have been saved from, you appreciate so much more his mercy, his faithfulness to his word, to his promises that he has in scripture, that his word is true, that he is, that he is God. So many times we tend to just tread on the surface in terms of the, understanding the depths of God. but we need to understand who God is as we study his word, understanding his promises, that they are true. So today when we understand worship and fellowship and thanksgiving, when we experience this time of praise through singing, through prayer, through, through studying the word, we have to remember that he is central to all of those things. That he is God. He is good. He is our creator and we are his people. So that all of our days may be filled with understanding his steadfast love, his goodness, his faithfulness. That they'd be filled with those things and singing his praises and thanksgiving. Serving with gladness and joy in our hearts, blessing his holy name. So today and for this season, I want us to remember and reflect on what we're thankful for in terms of who God is. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today and always, Lord, you are God. 
we are not. As we humbly come before you and acknowledge our brokenness before you, Lord, we give you praise and thanksgiving for sending your Son. Father, in the ways that I don't understand, in the circumstances in life where I can't see an end to, in the laments, in the trials, in the hardships, may praise still be found in there. Lord, as we come before you in times of joy and excitement and elation, the praise seems to be palpable. But Lord, in all circumstances, we are to give you thanks. So I pray that you would shape and mold our hearts that you would help our minds to understand your truth, your goodness. Not our own forms of goodness, not not our own pride or selfish ways, but Lord, help us to repent of those things and turn towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.